Welcome to the Aggressive Life. You know what this podcast is not called? It's not called the comfortable life. It's not called the easy life. It's not called the life you've always wanted. It's called the aggressive life. What's it mean to be aggressive? It means there's something that's going to take an inordinate amount of energy for you to get it. That means you're going to have to actually try harder than you are right now. Something that you don't want to do. Something that is very uncomfortable. That's why you're not doing it right now. The things you're doing right now are never being aggressive. That's stuff that's now in your sweet spot. It's the new thing. It's the difficult thing. The thing that makes us uncomfortable is where our aggression needs to be focused. You know, as the Aggressive Life podcast has grown, it has been really interesting to see how many people want to be on the podcast. And we have publishers and authors contacting us regularly saying, oh, you should have my guests. You should have my guests. And we listen because we're always looking for good guests. That's a, that's a good thing to do. We want to bring you the best content we can. Then something really weird happens every once in a while. Like a book that I've read on my own that has nothing to do with being pre-ordered so I could publicize it. In my own personal time, I run across a book that I love, 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 love. And like I got this guy on my podcast. His name is Michael Easter. He wrote a book called The Comfort Crisis, Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, Healthy Self. Welcome, Michael Easter, to The Aggressive Life. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad you stumbled upon the book, and I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really fantastic. We share some things in common. Uh, we're both hunters, and uh, we're both ruckers. Before we get into that, just, just give us the download on why this topic is important to you and why we should hear, hear about it, Michael. Oh man. So my background is I've been a health journalist, uh, pretty much all my life. And I worked at men's health magazine for a lot of years. I was an editor there. Uh, I'm currently a professor at UNLV who teaches in the journalism department and continues to write. But, you know, early on in my career at men's health, I noticed that really anything I wrote about, and I wrote about everything from nutrition to, uh, mental health, to fitness, to all the stuff that makes us healthy lifestyle stuff, not stuff that happens inside a doctor's office. Right. All the stuff that makes us healthy, it usually comes with some form of discomfort. If I want to improve my fitness, I have to work out. Working out isn't fun, right? If I want to lose weight because I'm overweight, probably going to be hungry. That's uncomfortable. Even improving your mental health usually comes with, you know, you find that people usually uh, become more resilient psychologically after they've faced challenges. So I started to wonder, well, well why is that? What is... What's up with that? Right. So I kind of started diving down the data. And over the course of my career, I kind of met some interesting characters that that made me think about um, discomfort differently as well. I met a guy whose name is uh, Donnie Vincent. We became good friends. Donnie is a backcountry bow hunter and filmmaker. He goes into the world's most remote, wild places for month at, months at a time. And he makes these amazing movies that are like planet Earth, but they happen to have hunting in them. So he invites me up to this uh, hunt in the Arctic. It's going to be for more than a month. Now, I'd never done anything like this, right? Uh, but I trusted him. I said, all right, I'll go along. I'll do this. Uh, and when I got up there, it was like everything up there was uncomfortable, right? Yep. We had everything took effort. Okay. That's getting water, getting food, even going to the bathroom. It's like you got to get a rifle because there's grizzlies. You got to hike out and got to find a place to go to the bathroom. You know, if you get water, you got to hike it all the way back uphill. It's always cold. 
even the sort of solitude of nature can be haunting at first, um, just uncomfortable in every way. And I get back to my modern life and um, I just felt way better. I mean, I was 10 pounds lighter. I was fitter than I'd ever been. And granted, like I was an editor of mental health. I was forced to work out for work and I had access to all the gurus. Right. But this thing is what really did it for me. Just throwing myself into a totally uncomfortable environment. Uh, and more importantly, I just felt like the dial on my mental, physical, spiritual health had been moved like 11 notches, you know. Um, and I could also see that there was a massive difference between the world that I had spent a month in versus the one I came back to, my modern life. It's like everything in modern life has been engineered to be as comfortable as possible. Yeah, let's 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 let, let's dig into that because I, I I want to I want to talk hunting and rucking. A lot of listeners have no idea what rucking is, but this is not a hunting rucking podcast. The hunting rucking aspect for me is just an outcome of the core value of intentionally deciding to be uncomfortable. So yes. just just stay on that for a bit, Michael, and tell us. Like awaken us as to what our comfort crisis is. Where are the places that we're seeing comfort hurting ourselves? Where are the places we could go into discomfort? Just reclaim for us. Most, most people are not going to want to be uncomfortable. Tell us again and with examples. Why should the average person be uncomfortable from time to time, even if they're not going to hunt a ruck? Yeah. So, okay. Well, first of all, why do you want to be comfortable? And this is because humans came up in environments that were inherently uncomfortable in every way, right? And these posed a real threat to our safety. So there's a reason that even today when we see a lot of food, we'll try and eat as much of it as possible because in our past environments, we never had enough food, right? So we tend to overeat to compensate. We are lazy because in our past environments, energy was at a premium. You would never just exercise because you needed those calories, right? So we're wired to be lazy. We're wired to avoid temperature swings. Those used to be dangerous. We're wired to avoid all this stuff and to do that, which is going to be most comfortable because that provided a survival advantage for all of time, right? Yes. We came up. Yes. Then the industrial revolution happens. All of a sudden we start taking movement out of our days. Okay. So before the industrial revolution, more than 80% of the country was farmers, not the kind that sit behind a big thresher today, right? It's like a mechanical yep. thing. They're like tilling fields. Deep knee bends. Yes, deep knee bends. Wasn't enough food. We get like food comes at us at a massive scale. We engineer movement out of our lives. You think about the things that most influence the average American's life every single day. They're all new within the past hundred or so years. Hmm. Temperature control. I live in Las Vegas. This place wouldn't even exist on a map were it not for temperature control, right? Right. And so now we only experience temperature swings when we walk out to a parking lot or something. But we also know that putting humans in different types of temperatures is good for us. It helps our health, something about that. Um, also experiencing hunger happens to be good for us, especially when we're overeating too much. It tends to cull a lot of the cells that are no longer doing anything for us and can eventually lead to diseases down the road. Uh, exercise, we know that's good for us, right? But we no longer have to. You could you could sit on your couch and take 2,000 steps a day, some people totally do, and live and be totally fine, right? So this drive that we have to always do the next most comfortable thing, it no longer serves us when the world is comfortable in so many different ways, 
This is why we have things like heart disease, our lack of movement and our, we overeat food, right? This is why we have mental health problems because we no longer have a perspective of what constitutes a legitimate crisis in our life, right? I see this a lot with, uh, I work with a lot of young people because I'm a college professor. Um, rates of mental health uh, problems in college kids uh, right now are just off the charts because we've slowly over time removed more and more challenge from kids' life. Think of helicopter parenting. Think of snowball parenting. The most anxious people in America are college students how can that be? You have the least amount of pressure on your life. You know, it's it's because we've we've put our kids in in bubbles and just removed all discomfort from them. Exactly. So then they when when you don't have any challenge, you have no perspective of what a challenge actually is. Right. It's like we learn from going through hard things. We know this from research. You look at research and the people with the most mental health problems, um, there's two different groups. The one group is people who have had tons and tons of unfortunate things happen to them. I mean, just tragedy after tragedy. It's not good for your mental health, right? At the same time, people who have had no challenges, no really bad things ever happened to them, they have equally bad mental health. It's the people who have had sort of enough challenges to hit this sweet spot where they've learned something about themselves on the way. As they face a challenge, they go, oh, I survived this. I have something on board that I can draw from next time something comes along. And also reframes like what a real problem is, right? You know, think of someone who learns that they have cancer. All of a sudden, every problem they had before, all of a sudden is not a real problem, right? Because they have a legitimate problem they have to face right now. Yes. So are you, are you saying then if something is comfortable and I like it, I shouldn't do it? Like, what's the line? I should just make my life suck? Now, um, so what I'm arguing for in this book is I think overall, I think I want people to be conscious of this thing because we don't even think about it. We just are born into this and we default to do whatever's comfortable, right? But we have no perspective on what life was like 100, 200, 300, 3,000 years ago, whatever it might be, right? And so I want people to think to essentially be aware of how life has changed and also try to look for ways that they can consciously add discomfort back into their life. Because by doing so and choosing the harder path in this easy world, we become better for it. It's like suffer now, be better off later. Instead, we avoid anything that's really going to challenge us. And that leads to a sort of, you know, our life's not as, not quite as, bright. It's a little dull. So things like, you know, I point out a handful of these discomforts that I think are specifically important for humans in the book. Um, you mentioned rucking, but also the fact, you know, even something like hunger, you look at the average person, 80% of eating is now driven by reasons other than real hunger hmm. because it says it's, you know, it's noon. Oh, I eat lunch at noon. Better eat. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, 70 odd percent of people are overweight or obese. Um, things like time in nature. We spend 95% of our time indoors now, right? Because indoors is safe. Indoors is 72 degrees. Indoors has Netflix. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the outdoors, it's unpredictable. So we don't want to go out there. It's unpredictable. There's temperature swings. But we also know that you look at the research on time in nature, and it is one of the best things you can do to improve your mental health. You learn something about yourself up there. You see the world differently. You also slow down. I mean, modern life with screens and tech is just a lot 
you know, it's a lot of pings and dings and it fractures our attention. We're all over the place. You go out of nature without your cell phone and all of a sudden it's like you take it down a notch and calm down and on and on and on. There's just so many different things that have changed over time that we need to think about. Okay. You know, it's not that we're ditching all this good stuff because it's amazing, but it's just like, how do we offset it by consciously choosing things that are sometimes uncomfortable, things that are sometimes hard. And you're talking about Netflix. I find it fascinating that the things that I watch on Netflix are always somebody who's uncomfortable. Like I never watch on Netflix somebody binge watching somebody. That's the that's the base of the show. It's you know it's Alone that show or it's Survivor or even if it's it's Billions, which is people who are uh, who are just emotionally on the edge as they're dealing with. It. It's always people who are getting challenged or uncomfortable. And why is it? It's because that's really the only life that's interesting and has any stickiness to it at all is when we're challenging and we're uncomfortable. And yet, if you want to make a million bucks today, help people be comfortable, not help somebody be uncomfortable. To your last point, yeah, I have a, I have a friend who said, like, if you want to, make an, want to make a lot of money, like, just come up with an invention that somehow makes people more comfortable, you will sell a lot of it, <laughs> right? Exactly. There's a lot of different ways to, uh, to interpret that. I'm not just talking about sofas. I'm talking about, well, boredom is uncomfortable, right? Oh, well, what do we do when we're bored now? We pull out our cell phone. Immediately. No anymore. Immediately. Immediately. If I'm in a room with three people and two people are having a conversation, I'm out of it for five seconds. It's immediately look at the phone. Oh, you're not including me. Immediately. Yes. Look at a grocery store line. No one will be just, you know, standing with their thoughts. They'll all be in their cell phone. Right. I th- And you're convinced this is part of our loneliness epidemic then as a country. I, I am. Is that what you feel? Yeah, I think so. So if you look at... um. So when I was up in the Arctic and hunting is when I started first thinking about this because hunting um, caribou, it's a lot of waiting. You're kind of like waiting for these herds to travel through. So we'd be sitting on these hills for like hours and hours and hours. Now, of course, cell phone, I I mean, I'm not within a hundred miles of a single bar of service, right? So my cell phone doesn't work. It's not like I brought books and stuff. Um, I started getting bored out of my mind, you know? And so what do I do to deal with that? I read the tags on my energy bars and my clothes. And then I'm like looking at the ground and just doing all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but I also wrote some of the book, came up with a lot of ideas for magazine articles. So where did boredom lead me, right? Boredom is this evolutionary discomfort that it essentially tells us whatever we're doing right now is not a good use of our time. We're not getting a good um, return on our time invested. So as we evolved, this could be like a hunt wasn't going well, but we needed food, right? So this boredom would kick on and be uncomfortable and it would tell us, hey, this isn't going well. Return on your time is not good. Go pick some potatoes or go do something else. Just go do something else. So this served us for so long, right? But nowadays, whenever we feel this discomfort of boredom, we don't necessarily go do something productive, we just pull out our phone, right? We're not forced anymore to sit with our thoughts and see what sort of naturally bubbles to the surface, which granted sometimes is crazy stuff, but other times it's like, oh, well, that's a really interesting idea I could use for a business. Now, I've talked to a lot of, uh, a lot of like sort of big name creators have reached, reached out to me around this book and been like, did the boredom thing? Yeah. I just realized like, yeah, I need that boredom to come up with these ideas. And these are people who are in businesses, they're in entertainment, all kinds of stuff. 
And so by reflexively just pulling out our phone every time to get back to the loneliness thing, it's like, we're not forced to have those conversations like you just brought up. Um, for example, the, you know, I'm a professor at UNLV. The semester just started. I walked into my first class. There's about a hundred and hundred some odd students in this, you know, and I'm always, I don't show up super early to class. I kind of just like everyone's there and then I'll kind of show up, you know, right on time. Every single person's head is down. No one is talking. Right. You know, and when I was in college, we didn't, I mean, we had cell phones, not that old, but at the same time, they weren't like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they didn't have the internet. So we're, we're forced to sit there and kind of look around and be like, Hey, what's your name? Oh, okay. Why'd you take this class that you have a conversation, right? Which is uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Not easy. (laughs) It's weird asking somebody who you don't know and sort of, it's very uncomfortable. Yes. Well, I think it's more uncomfortable today because we never do it. Right. I think that one of the messages of this book is that like, they call it a comfort zone. The farther you stretch it, the bigger it becomes and more of everything becomes easier. The more you talk to random people, the more talking to random, the easier talking to random people becomes. And then we do the same next time and repeat and repeat and repeat. And over time, we become a much more adaptable, resilient and frankly, more interesting person. A podcast, or at least this podcast, is where I want to stretch people mentally. And that really means make people uncomfortable. As apex predators that we are, as this species that has to survive, we have to burn as few calories as possible. So it's kind of hardwired into us to not burn a lot of calories because we want to live. At some point, if you burn so many calories, you you die, right? If you're not replenishing them. What I didn't realize was that mentally, the amount of calories we burn mentally is crazy. I don't have it off the top of my head what it is, but it is ridiculous. It's why when I would study in college, which was very rarely, but when I would study in college, I would get incredibly hungry because I'm burning calories. It's why I want to encourage all of our listeners right now, you're going to be, you're learning things that are difficult to comprehend. You're burning calories right now. Hang in on it right now. It's why you have politicians who win, not because they're more, they're more qualified, but because they have a slogan that your mind understands. It goes, I understand it. I got it. You know, make America great again. And Hillary Clinton's uh, way back when her phrase was, well, who knows? It was complicated. It was complex. Don't you make America. Got it. I don't have to think about it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And I think that's also part of our stuff with all the COVID stuff. Whatever our, our opinion is, we have our opinion and we don't want any information that's going to be contrary to what my opinion is because I really don't want to think because biologically we don't want to burn calories. We want to just survive. Your reaction to any of that? Yeah, well, I mean, I will say that the brain is definitely the body's most expensive organ by weight. So it burns about 30. I mean, the brain is, I think it's like three, four pounds and it burns about 30% of our daily calories just at rest. So that thing's a motor. It's a V8 motor. It's always cranking. Um, I'm taking notes on you right now. My gosh, (laughs) laying down the truth bombs. Um, I mean, to this is why we started eating meat and like moving out into the world. I mean, the fact that we have this expensive brain though is also why we are so smart. So it's a good like trade-off, right? Um, the brain costs a lot of money, helps us get a lot of food, but at the same time, we also need a lot of food because of it. So it's this feedback loop we're, we're always in. Um, but to that point, I mean, I think you make a great point about politicians and, um, you know, having to parse out details and, 
think of competing sides, that is uh, uncomfortable because you have to take a look at yourself. Why ask yourself some hard questions? Why do I think the way I do? And just the simple way is easy. And that's what people tend to default to. I mean, this is why to your great, excellent point, political slogans work. Just put it in black or white. You or, know? or sound bites. We don't want to yes. burn the calories for nuanced thinking. Mm-hmm. We just exactly. want like the thing that I could just go, ha, I got it. And I'm just wanting us all to see whether it's mentally or physically. Let's let's just recategorize these things in our mind. We've got to recategorize being uncomfortable with something different. The, the crossing over point for me, when I started looking at discomfort in a different way, was I was on a mission trip. Oh gosh, this was years and years and years ago. And it was in Nicaragua, and we were heading up to a uh, the largest peak in Nicaragua to hike at a, a volcano. And we were in this back of this itty bitty pickup truck. I think there was ten of us in the back of this pickup truck, and we are we just got done with our work project. So some people were sitting on the edges of the truck. Some people were on the paint buckets in the middle of it. And as we're going down this heavily rutted, rocky thing, we're having to hold our arms, lock arms to keep from falling out because the mass of the weight inside the truck was keeping from falling out. And then it starts raining. And I mean, this is the tropics, a tropical rainstorm. And at first my thought was, oh my gosh, I don't have my rain gear. Where's my rain gear? Well, I'm outside. And because I realized it had been so long since I was involuntarily wet. I mean, I'm only at that point in my life, I'm I'm only wet when I'm when I'm naked in the bathtub or in the shower or I have my bathing suit on and I plan to get wet by going to the pool. That's it. Never, ever, ever, ever. And just the thought of my clothes soaked with water and being pelted was freaking me out. And then all of a sudden this, this thought come across my mind. I went, whoa, 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 it's water. It's not acid. It's water. My clothes are going to be wet inside the washing machine and they can be wet on my own body. And so my, when I mentally made that shift, it like all of a sudden become a very enjoyable ride. I want our listeners to make the shift that when we're uncomfortable, you can think about something differently and your life can actually be better for it. You agree with that? Yes. I'll tell you a story. So I'm headed up to Alaska, right? And to get up to where we were, I had to take about six planes. So you basically take successively smaller planes until you are in a plane that is the size of a Snickers candy bar, you know, <laughs> you and the pilot and you're like a bobsled team. But my very first plane was a 747 from Las Vegas where I lived to uh, Seattle, which was the layover point to Anchorage. So I get in this plane, I'm in like fifth class, right? And flying is awful, right? Sucks. Like just small seat, you're cramped. I'm like six foot one. Uh, The plane is always too hot. The movies that they play, they are always terrible. The coffee's awful. Everybody's annoying who sits beside you. Everything is just awful about flying. And then I get up to Alaska and I spent a month in the middle of nowhere in the backcountry. I'm freezing cold the entire time. If I want food or water, I have to hike down to the stream to get water. I have to boil water. I have to make a fire. I have to do all these things to get food, right? It's dangerous. There's grizzly bears everywhere. There's crazy weather. I don't have, it's just, it's legitimately uncomfortable. So then when I go home and I get back on that 747 to Las Vegas, what do you think that flight was like? It was heaven. It was unbelievable. I hadn't sat in a soft chair for more than a month, right? 
I hadn't eaten enough food. So I'm eating like 20 bags of pretzels on that thing. <laughs> they had hot coffee. The plane was warm. I hadn't uh, been warm in more than a month. I could go into a bathroom that had hot running water at 30,000 feet. So the point I'm trying to make is just like you had, sometimes I think for most people, you need to put yourself in a position where you have that realization to realize how good you have it because we have it amazing today. I think you're, you're really onto something here. Just reminding ourselves that it's supposed to be difficult. That's what life is. And we can still choose to be thankful for things that are around us. Two things in my life where I thought about that recently, just reflecting on that is, I mean, things that work right now are a bear. I got, you know, 300 and some people in, in the organization I lead, and there's just problems and fires all the time, everywhere, and half of everybody is upset, either, you know, staff or volunteers or half of everybody just upset. And I just think to myself, my goodness, this is, this is just when's it going to end? And I have to go, Oh, this is what leadership is. If there, yeah. was, if there wasn't people who had difficulties, then you wouldn't need a leader. That's, that's right. what leadership is. It reminds us. So okay. That's reminded me that. And then the other one was I've been training for a ruck. For those of you who don't know, rucking is when you carry a backpack, intentionally carry a backpack with weight. It's based on what the military has done to get from point A to point B. And so I'm training for an event. It's a 26.2 mile event where you got to carry weight. And, and I, I've done enough rucking to be able to haul out an elk or a deer. Well, deer, I, I, I literally dragged that, you know, 400 yards in my truck. That's no big deal. But, um, but I haven't done a lot of long, long distance stuff. So the other day I'm, I'm out and it's just a freaking slog. I, I'm, I'm like mile 12 and the balls of my feet are just burning. I got the wrong shoes. I'm, I'm getting massive heat rash. I can feel it building up because 90 degrees, I can feel building up on my back. I, I got pictures of it. I'm going to think about them. I might post them on social media. I don't know. They're pretty gross. But anyway, as, as I'm in that, I'm, I'm starting to cop a bad attitude. Like, what the hell am I doing? Why would I, why would I do this? I'm just walking aimlessly in a circle to get my miles. Why am I doing the 26.2 miles? Why is that even? And then it occurs to me, I did, this thought comes to me where I just go, because you're choosing to be an athlete. That's why. You're choosing to be an athlete. You're choosing to be someone who recognizes that you were built, you are literally physically built to do this exact thing. And when I thought that, immediately my attitude shifted and immediately I started having fun. Well, not having fun, but I stayed on the thing and it was good. You talk about that in your, your book, Michael, how we are built to carry weight. Download that on us because most of us have a goal to never carry any weight. Yes. So when you look at why the human body is built the way it is, there are two reasons. So the first is to run long distances slowly, right? We're just not great athletes, but we are good at that one thing, running slowly in the heat. Other animals, they can't cool themselves well. So we would use this to our advantage on hot days. What we would do is to hunt, we would get a spear and we would slowly but surely run animals down over miles and miles and miles until those animals topple over from heat exhaustion. And then would come the other thing that we are built for. We have to carry that animal back to camp, right? We're the only animal that can carry things over distance. So I had, I came to this realization 
in Alaska because I had known about the research around uh, running and how we are quote unquote born to run. And the whole reason is so we could hunt. But at the same time, it's like, if you've ever hunted, you know, you have to pack that animal out. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, how, we obviously had to carry back to camp and how did that shape us? And it turns out that humans actually carried far more than they would have ever run as we evolved. I mean, that is like our killer app is that we can carry tools. Uh, we can carry weapons. We carry our meat back home. When we gather, we have to carry all that stuff back, right? We are uniquely good at that. And so today in modern life, it's like, these are the two exercises that we evolved to do. And plenty of people still jog, right? They do the slow run thing. But how many for a workout carry something? Just pick up something heavy and walk it, walk it over some ground, right? Not many. So I'm thinking, okay, well, like, who is doing this? And this leads me to special forces soldiers. Because special forces soldiers, the foundation of military fitness is essentially loading a backpack, or as they call it, rucksack, with your gear and walking it over ground, right? And it's sort of turned these people into the fittest people the world has ever known. I mean, like Green Berets, Navy SEALs, all those guys are just unbelievably fit. They're the tip of the spear. And rucking is the foundation. One of the beautiful things about rucking is like when you run, you're not really working your muscles. You're only working your cardiovascular system. But with rucking, it's almost like running for pe or cardio for people who hate to run and lifting for people who hate the gym. And we know that for longevity, you need to be doing both cardio and strength exercise. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Um, the injury rate is way lower than that of running, like way lower, unbelievably, unbelievably lower. And it's fun. It's social. You can do it in a group. Um, so that's my spiel. That's my, that's my selling point on rucking. So you have a regular rucking workout for you. If I'm walking the dogs, I'm, I'm putting on a ruck. If I'm going on a hike out in the desert, I'm throwing weight in the pack. I'm doing that. Yeah, that's cool. The problem with rucking is, is for me, it, it, it just takes so long. You know, you're doing, if you're going to, I mean, if you're going to do an hour of walking and hit some push-ups during it. I, I guess that's cool. But like training for this event, it's just so like, like three hours of my day gone versus a hard 45 minutes. That's a difficult thing for it, for me. Yeah. Um, that's because you, that's because you've chosen to do 26 miles of rucking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well so said. My, so my sympathy is honestly minimal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not doing 26 miles a day. I'm not doing that a day. I'm building yeah. up to that, but nonetheless, okay. You've got a 25, three rule. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, so I go meet this uh, neuroscientist in Boston who studies the effects of nature on the brain, essentially. And she tells me about um, this idea called the nature pyramid, hence 25-3. Uh, and it basically states that it's kind of like the food pyramid, this idea of the nature pyramid, it based, but it basically tells us the specific doses we need of nature. So at the bottom of this pyramid, this 20 rule is that we should uh, three times a week spend 20 minutes outside. And this is associated with a lot lower levels of stress. And it also seems to improve critical thinking. It's pretty easy, right? At the next level is five. Five is the number of hours per month we should spend in sort of more, I guess I would call it country nature. So the 20 rule, that can be like a city park. That can be a really tree-lined street. That's easy. This next level, it's like a state park, something that's like easy to access, but is a little more wild, right? Five hours a month. And that is associated with um, increases in happiness, decreases in depression, mm. 
All these good things for just your well-being. Five hours at a time or five hours over a month? Five hours total. Okay. Yeah. So that could be two, two, one. That could be five all in one shot. Uh, however you want to do it. And then at the very top of the pyramid is three. Three is the number of days per year that we should spend in totally off the grid backcountry nature. This is the type of stuff that's like harder to get to, right? There's probably not a road, not a lot of roads. You might have to hike in. And what this seems to do, this is really interesting, is that um, it tends to force our brain to, after day three to ride what are called alpha, alpha waves. Alpha waves are a type of brain wave that is a lot slower, a lot more calm, just at peace, at rest. And they're the same brain waves found in really experienced meditators. What happens on day three is that like people just become a lot more calm. They have better um, outlook on life. Like all these good things happen to our brain. Focus, creativity, all this goes up. And critically, this stuff seems to hold for a while after we've gone back to our normal life. Now, the catch of everything I just told you about all this is that if you bring your cell phone and use your cell phone during all this, it totally cancels it out. Oh, wow. Because you're back and you're not in nature anymore, right? You're in the screen. You're in the modern world. Which is, uh, you you have on your uh, in your book, you mentioned this, that we look at our phone average 2,617 times a day. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> oh I always do a... I always do a poll of my students to see who has the most screen time in my really big class every day. And uh, the record was nine hours, but it was broken yesterday. Uh. It was broken by a kid who, I don't know how this is possible, but he had an average of 16 hours a day for the week before. Well, I'll tell 16. you it's possible. Uh, it, he's a young male who, who does porn. That's how it's possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He said TikTok, you know, I can understand. Oh, you didn't yeah. Mention. Oh, sure. TikTok. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, that that's sobering. Like I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good and I'm doing good. But as soon as you say it's canceled, wiped out, as soon as you get that blue light from the screen, like, eh, OK, that's a good challenge for me. Misogi. Tell us what Misogi is. OK, so Misogi uh, is this Japanese myth. Right. And uh in it, there is a character named Izanagi, and his wife dies. She goes down into the underworld. They're both gods, and he decides he can't live without her. So he goes down into the underworld. He's battling, like, demons and monsters and all this stuff uh, to rescue her. And when he gets down there, tragic story. She's, like, succumbed to the underworld. She's also a demon. So then he has to, like, make this fantastic breakup, and he doesn't think he's going to do it. It's, like, this epic challenge, and he just barely gets out by getting out and going down there, he realizes something about himself, that he is far more capable than he ever thought possible. He could only know this by putting himself in a position where failure was almost imminent, right? So I meet this guy whose name is uh, Marcus Elliott, and he is taking this concept of Masogi and applying it to the modern world. He's this guy who's really applied deep data and biometrics and AI to uh, performance and movement. He's quantifying movement. Now the NBA has contracts within the NFL, uh, world soccer, like it's real deal. But he also realizes despite all this numbers and data and figure that he's into about performing, uh, improving performance, he also realizes that that which improves a human's performance and potential can always be measured. And to get to that stuff, he does a modern Masogi. Every year, once a year, he picks some really hard task and him and some friends will go out and tackle this task. Now the task, two rules, rule number one is that it has to be really hard. 
And they define that by saying you should have a true 50% chance of completing it. They will go out into nature one day a year. They don't train for it. And they do something pretty epic, pretty hard. One year they walked a 85 pound boulder underneath the Santa Barbara channel. So one guy would dive down, pick up the rock, walk it underwater for 10, 20 feet. The next guy would go. And after hours and hours, they made it to the other side. And along the way, just like in that tale of Masogi, they come out a new person. They know something about themselves. When you come out the other side, when you have this moment when you're out there struggling and you're like, I don't think I can actually do this. You eventually get to a point where you look back and you say, oh man, like hundred feet ago, a mile ago, whatever it happened to be, that's where I thought my edge was. And yet here I am past it. So I've undersold myself and my potential Yes. just right now. Where right. else in my life am I underselling myself? Did these convictions that you have around the sanctity of discomfort, were they firmly rooted before your Alaskan trip or did they happen after your Alaskan trip? Uh, I think that the Alaska trip just cemented it because, you know, I came back and I'm like, oh, this thing called life. Yeah, I got this. Mm. You know, like it reframes everything. Mm. Michael Easter, are you ready for the lightning round? This is where I ask you something and you have to answer in one or two sentences at the most. I know it's going to be very uncomfortable for you because you have to give long, insightful answers. Are you up for the Misogi lightning round challenge? Yes, I am. Okay. Your next Misogi in your personal life. I can't give details because that's one of the guidelines of Misogi, but it'll be something in the water because the water scares me. All right, good. One thing the average listener right now can do to get uncomfortable. Throw some weight in a pack and go for a walk. Try rocking. Very easy. Do it when you walk the dog. Most essential outdoor gear that you own? Garmin inReach Mini, which allows me to, should things go terribly, terribly wrong, press a button and hopefully someone will come rescue me within 24 hours. They are so sexy. Top tip for confronting fear. Get some perspective. Am I going to die? Yes or no? No? Okay, then what's the worst that can happen? Great. Most important thing you've learned during COVID? What I learned during COVID is that COVID was the COVID quarantines, not the disease, were good for some people and not good for others. And I think it had to do with perspective. All right. I'm going to break the lightning round rules right there. Has to do with perspective. What perspective? Okay. Back to everything I've said. Um, If you didn't get COVID, if you didn't lose a job, if you didn't lose someone that you loved, what, what happened during COVID? You hung out at home behind a screen. Your house was probably air conditioned. Did you have food? Yeah. But I had a mask on, but I had to go out. I had to wear a mask. I wear a seatbelt every day. Like, you know, like. What? Like, well, someone's impinging on your freedoms to tell you to wear a, free, a seatbelt. Okay. Well, I mean, freedom is an abstract story that we've made up, right? Like humans, we're we're not born into any sort of freedom. This is a story that we've made up. And like, I think it's a good story, but at the same time, like, again, back to those things, like if X didn't happen, if Y didn't happen, if Z didn't happen, like how bad was it, right? 
like let's go back to the the pandemic of eight of 1930 like you could have really like you probably could have died during that i mean that was a lot riskier how about world war one how about world war two like those that is really trying and like i think that we just don't see things in the grand scheme of time and space yeah we have a good we have a good even during a pandemic like people are complaining from their macbooks right like tweeting like i can't believe this is happening from my macbook while they're watching netflix and eating like and drinking a soda like come on yeah you bring up a really good point i don't think that we've we've really wrestle with that much. And I think that part of why COVID was so difficult for us, I'll include me in it, is because it forced you to go inward and yes. beyond what is healthy to go inward. I mean, if you go inward far enough and long enough and deep enough, it's a dark downward spiral. And I think the average person just had too much time on their hands, which is what discomfort does. Discomfort makes your time go immediately. You're thinking outside yourself. You're thinking of the problem. You're thinking about the thing instead yeah. of thinking, oh no, I don't like this. How come I do this? There's just less time for complaining because you got to carry the rock. Yes, but I think too that time peeling away those layers, like it's not always bad. I mean, that's what Buddhist monks do, right? It's like stripping away all the layers until you realize like, what are you left with? And so like people do this voluntarily for enlightenment, you know? So again, back to perspective. Yeah, but I think the the Buddhist practice or the biblical practice of meditation, that, that's important, but that's, that's generally for a confined time. I'm going into it and I'm coming out of it. It's not, this is my mode of just thinking about my life incessantly for, for 18 months and how I don't like my job and how I don't like the, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, I think that goes on a different line, at least for me. Yeah. Good. Well, Michael, this has been fantastic. Is, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? Oh, I don't think so. We covered a good range. I like it. Hey, hey, boys and girls, I recommend very, very highly The Comfort Crisis. Embrace discomfort to reclaim your wild, happy, healthy self. I promise we have not given away the heart of the book. There's a lot of good stuff in there. In fact, I'm, I'm actually excited to go back and skim it again after I've already gone through it once. It's really, really fantastic, as is Michael and your ideas today. You just helped us be more aggressive, brother. I really, awesome. really appreciate it. Is there anything we can do to follow up with you or buy your stuff or follow you? Just just, just advertise yourself here for a moment. Oh, man. Uh, well, the book is called The Comfort Crisis. You can get it wherever. Uh, I'm at EasterMichael.com. I'm also on Instagram at Michael underscore Easter, and that's basically the best ways to find me. There you go. You've had it. We've had another episode of Aggressive Life with a brother here who is pushing us in new places. That's what we want to do. We want to push us. This is not the Confirm Everything I Like to Do in My Life podcast. It's called the Aggressive Life podcast. And so we hope you've been pushed today and not just in listening and getting ideas, but do something, guys, ladies. Go out there and try something new that's going to make you uncomfortable. And we'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles, 
and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.